CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic. Here with Jonah Bronstein, and uh, quite frankly, Jonah, I've forgotten the name of your merged uh, company. You know what? That whole thing fell through. Everything oh. <laughs> I said on well, Tuesday was wrong, and so we're back to uh, Bronstein Enterprises, and we actually should probably go and maybe edit that video, because I shouldn't have said anything about that merger with DraftKings. That was wrong. Was that, uh, did it fall apart because you spoke too soon? You know what it was, is, is that we're trying to merge with FanDuel, and so we kind of put that out there to, you know, hedge our bets and drive up the market. And, and you know, I wasn't supposed to be as carefree talking about that as I am right now. So I should, we're going to stick with Bronstein Enterprises until you see federal approval of any merger or acquisition. And I'm going to keep my conversations with CTBK on that subject private and not talk about potential mergers on this show any longer. Understood. Understood. Well, uh, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises. Uh, thank you again for joining uh, Tim Graham and friends and being uh, the number one F. Uh, it, we're starting a new Ripken S streak of two shows in a row that you're on. And um, I couldn't be happier. Um, although I'm, this I'm is exciting, but disappointed in your, um, in your, uh, your business um, setback. But uh, let's talk about uh, some other setbacks. Uh, the, the two major league teams in town uh, are struggling a little bit, um, maybe one, one more obviously than the other. Um, let's just first talk about the Buffalo Bills and their situation. Uh, and we're going to get into this more with uh, Joel Staniszewski. He's going to be on the line from Vegas later on in the show, and, and he's going to break it down also. Um, but uh, we were talking on the last show regarding Spencer Brown and uh, the loss that he has been when he's not in the lineup because – the Bills offensive line has to shuffle and Cody Ford has to be inserted at right guard. And well, it doesn't have to be, but at least that's the way that the Bills see it. And then uh, Darrell Williams shifts back out to right tackle where he had played well. Um, but uh, like that game against Jacksonville. So anyway, that's what I really want to talk to Joel Staniszewski about, especially from a betting standpoint, because we talk all the time about how the only guys who will move a line are quarterbacks or superstar players like a Derrick Henry or a Calvin Johnson back in the day. Um, betters don't know who Spencer Brown is or Star Latulale, really. So the line stays the same. But we, as Bills fans or Bills media, are able to say, oh, my God, uh, this is the, the lineup that played Jacksonville and lost 9-6. to six. Um, I, I don't know, I guess just your, your thoughts on Spencer Brown, whether it be, um, whether it be because he's out of the lineup or the fact that it's COVID and, and I, and I, I guess I should also say at the beginning of the show, the athletic has a policy. And while this show is not owned or subsidized by the athletic, uh, as an athletic employee, I, I try to you know, be as mindful of their wishes as much as I can. Uh, the athletic has a policy that unless the player or the team or some official statement is made regarding somebody's COVID and or vaccination status. We don't speculate or we, you know, that's, we effort not to do that. So, um, you know, there's been a lot said as to whether or not Spencer Brown is vaccinated uh, and the fact that if he's not vaccinated, he then can't play Thursday uh, against the new Orleans saints in the short week. So a uh, Star Latulale, a guy who opted out last season and is, on the COVID list now, uh, Jonah, you don't work for the athletic. Uh, I, what, what are your thoughts? Thank on you the, for on reminding the, me. Um, uh, well, the, I'll say this. And on where I, the bills are right now. I myself try not to overly speculate about vaccination status or not make the knee jerk assumptions that a lot of people might make. However, there's a couple things that 
have been patterns when it comes to uh, this issue in all sports and that when a player does test positive and is vaccinated, it's very quickly put out there either by the agent or somebody to let uh, people know that, you know, that's what happened and maybe don't blame the player for this. And also in a lot of cases, especially with the NFL, a vaccinated player will return to the lineup quicker than an unvaccinated player once they test positive. So the fact that we have not heard any leaks that either of these players are vaccinated is something that you can read into it. And as far as Star Latulier, and I don't remember if Spencer Brown falls into this category. When the Bills had a bit of a uh, COVID scare in the preseason and several players were held out because of their vaccination status, Star Latulier was in that group. So I think if you are to speculate and assume at this point until we hear otherwise, we should assume those players are not vaccinated. I try not to be too judgmental about whether, you know, vaccinated players good, unvaccinated players bad in this sense. But in terms of being a Bills fan and wanting these – for a Bills fan that would want these players in the lineup to help the team win, uh, it is concerning. And because they have a short week coming up after this game, going to New Orleans next week, we're not sure if Spencer Brown's going to be back and available. Um, and looking at how things have gone with Deion Dawkins, we're not sure if Spencer Brown's going to be back and – up to his full health and potential and strength and everything that he's been able to do as a rookie so far. And that's been a crucial loss in the Jacksonville game for the bills. And now not having Spencer Brown for a game or two um, should be pretty worrisome for people that want to see the bills offense playing as good as it can play as, as good as it did against the jets. Yeah, and we're looking at also an injury situation with uh, Tremaine Edmonds uh, could be dragging into this game also. And then again, you got a short week. Let's keep reminding people that there's a very short turnaround uh, for New Orleans because that game is on Thanksgiving night. Uh, but that up-the-middle defense, uh, which was able to withstand the New York Jets, that's one thing. But the Indianapolis Colts have perhaps the best offensive line in the NFL. And they have, as long as Derrick Henry is out of the conversation, perhaps the best running back in the NFL. So up-the-middle without Starla Tulele and without – possibly uh, Tremaine Edmonds, you're looking at uh, an interesting matchup, uh, an interesting a, a matchup that's more interesting than the Bills would like it to be, uh, given all those situations. Now, yes, uh, the Colts also have their injuries on defense, and that's going to help Josh Allen. Um, he might have to get rid of the, build, the ball fast uh, with uh, the offensive line the way it is, but Bills still seem to be the better team uh, against uh, an opponent that put a scare into them in the playoffs in Orchard Park last season. Um, but um, all kinds of interesting matchups all over the place because of guys who aren't going to be out there. And, and I think giving the Colts uh, probably a better chance uh, to win this game um, because of uh, the Bills are going to be at a loss. It'll be interesting to see if the Bills react to Spencer Brown being out in the same way that they did previously. Will they move Dale Williams out back to right tackle where he played last year and put Cody Ford in the lineup, or will they not? Will they maybe play Bobby Hart? Will they Ryan Bates can play some tackle? And well, I don't really think Bills fans want to see Bobby yet. Hart out there. They were calling right. for him. They they were calling him the worst offensive lineman in the NFL during the preseason already. They're there, uh, and I was telling people, look, he's not going to make the team. You don't have anything to worry about. Uh, and now here he is week 11 and he's uh, he's considered an important enough player to, to sign uh, to get him in, in right now. Uh, so uh, it, it's uh, Ryan Bates is an interesting player and in that he can play all of the positions on the line. Really? He could play tackle or guard, but he's also the bills backup center. And there's a belief I've heard from some that maybe the bills don't use him at tackle or guard because they don't want to risk him getting hurt and not having, a backup center for Mitch Morris on game day. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but I would think with the problems that they had against Jacksonville, I would try something different, or even if it's maybe scheme wise or play calling wise, I wouldn't go out there and just hope for the best. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Ryan Bates there and, uh, and that's true. And, and you, and I think that, um, some people might say, well, what's the big deal? You know, Mitch Morse has been on the field uh, throughout the season, but he does have that concussion history. He misses games. He, uh, or even when he doesn't miss games, there've been times when he needs to come off the, off the field and uh, for a full series uh, or for a quarter. Um, and or he a comes bad out center, 
a bad yeah. center or a center that's not snapping the ball well can really – your offensive line crumbles around that. And they don't have John Feliciano. So I do sort of see the logic in protecting your backup center. But if you're having so much problems at other spots in the line and your starting center's healthy, is it cutting off your nose to spite your face if that's the reason why Ryan Bates is not on the field? Yeah, and DeForest Buckner is one of the more talented defensive linemen in the NFL. So uh, potentially a big day for him uh, going up against this uh, patchwork uh, Bills offensive line. Uh, Jonah, and I, we're going to talk with Joel about the, the Bills more, so I don't want to stay too much on that. But uh, we're talking about uh, a setback uh, again uh, for the Buffalo Sabres. And uh, you covered the game on Thursday. Um, Five nothing loss to Calgary at home. Another small crowd, and I wanted to ask you because you are down there at the arena, uh, and you have been for years covering these games. Uh, what sense you get uh, here? The here the Sabers are seven seven and two, um, two steps forward, two steps back. You know they're just treading water. I think they are competitive on some nights. They look totally. Um, you know, totally lost on, on other nights, uh, such as Thursday, but do, what sense do you get of the fans and the vibe around the arena? There was a, people were wondering when the season began and, and the Sabres looked pretty good, uh, and were su surprising some of us, um, that fans might come back, that they might warm up to these guys, that they're likable now that certain players are off the team, like, Ristolainen or Sam Reinhardt or the Eichel situations over and people can maybe get back to liking this team again. At least that was a belief. Rick the dog. Right. right. Rick the dog. They, they are doing some things around the arena that, you know, getting the fans um, talking about the team without talking about the X's and O's and, and the wins and losses. Um, where, where do you think things are with the fans and, and the Buffalo Sabres? Well, Going back to the start of the season, when they started well, and they started with a lot of home games, they played five of the first six games at home and won four of those five games, and the vibes were good for all the reasons you mentioned. But it seemed like a team that the hockey fans that were showing up were proud of and energized to come and cheer on and watch. It fit in with the organizational mantra of wanting to win with the players that wanted to be there, and they were winning with the fans that wanted to be there. What's been, I don't know if it's surprising, but I thought that that would lead to bigger crowds as the season went along, especially when different teams started coming into play. Edmonton was in town last week, Toronto. Uh, those are big franchises that if you're only going to go to one or two games a year, that's maybe a game that you would want to go to. And there hasn't. The, crowd is, the crowds have not gotten that much bigger. It was a little bit of a bump for that Toronto game, but this game against the Calgary Frames on, it's such a hard name to say, Calgary Flames. <laughs> on Thursday was well. They're new. They're new to the NHL. You'll you'll yeah. warm up to it. I know it's always been tough. And when you're writing it, you don't have to worry about that. But when you're saying it, it takes a lot of extra brain power to get that right. But it was. It was not a big crowd. It was one of the third or fourth lowest crowds of the year. Seventy seven hundred people, and so you're not seeing a big increase in interest. And maybe that doesn't happen until the Bills season's over. Or there could be something about the timing of the year. But, and also, it was for the first time this season that I've heard the home crowd booing the Sabres after they gave up four goals in the second period, three goals in less than two minutes, and I think it was 137. They really lost the game during that stretch. They're down 5 nothing after two periods, and you heard the fans that were there, there were enough that you could hear those boos as they left the ice. And I don't think it's going to get to the low points that we've seen last season and in recent seasons. I think the way the team plays and the way they – might be better at responding to negative energy from the fans will help keep the fans more engaged and less, uh, you know, anti saber sentiment that we saw in the last couple of years on Twitter, but the product on the ice is slipping and the fans that are showing up are voicing their displeasure. And there's still a lot of fans that are sitting this season out. Yeah. The Sabres started off with three home wins. They win four of their first five at home. Uh, the uh, just for the record, uh, the highest attendance uh, at KeyBank Center so far this year is the home opener, which was against the Montreal Canadiens, an attractive team, uh, 8,467. Uh, in number two, 
was the Edmonton Oilers. So a handful of people did come out and see uh, Connor McDavid, 8,258. You know, that's still a very low number. Um, and then most recently against the Calgary Flames, you see now that I almost just did it, the Calgary Flames, you've gotten it into my head, 7,753. I mean, that is really bad. And that's way worse, it seems. I'll have to look it up, but it's, it's worse than my memory of 2003 when the team was bankrupt. And uh, let me just look those up. Um, but yeah, we're talking about nine, we're nine games into the season now uh, on the home of the home schedule. So that's a quarter of the season. And we really have not seen any kind of uptick. It's, it stayed um, roughly the same. Uh, okay. Uh, hockeyreference.com does not have attendance uh, game by game for those. Um, anyways, uh, pretty well, up. When you cover those games where they, I mean, 7,000 is less than, half of the building. It's more about a third of the building. Did you ever remember it being that empty? No. And, and I think I re- recall the attend, but the, keep in mind though, that this was fresh off the Regus ownership. And I'm sure that some of the policies were still in play. They used to paper that audience quite a bit. There were a lot of free tickets going around. Um, and I want to say that the attendance would be in the 11,000 to 12,000 range. Um, that was a team that had no star power. Uh, Dominic Hasek was gone. Michael Pekka was gone. Uh, the stars on those teams were Chris Gratton, uh, Stu Barnes, um, Tim Connolly, who the fans hated at that time. Uh, they hadn't warmed up to him yet because he, he was young and a, and a puck handler and came in for Captain Crunch. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Jay McKee and Rhett Warner weren't selling tickets. But, but there um, was also a little bit of that vibe where Buffalo fans, we better show up or the Sabres are going to move. And I yeah, don't think, I think there was a little now. bit of that, a little bit. Yeah, I still think that there was some of that mentality uh, from, you know, and it was fresh off of uh, Buffalo Backs the Bills with, you know, Doug Flutie and selling sweets. And this was a, a fan base or a market that was scared of losing its teams. You're right, Jonah. Um, and so maybe there was some of that. Uh, I don't really remember that being a big push, although we're now talking uh, almost 20 years ago. Uh, I have trouble remembering uh, stuff like that. Um, what I've wondered is maybe why the Sabres aren't trying to paper the house right now, or if not giving away free tickets, some very cheap tickets and group discounts. I have seen a lot of, not a lot of, but I have seen some youth hockey teams that seem to be coming as a group and maybe they can do more of that. Are there business reasons why they don't want to do that? It would seem like just finding a way to get bigger crowds and louder crowds and more excitement and interest would pay off down the line. But, Maybe there's a business reason why you hurt. Well, your- I think that I think there are business reasons for that. And I think that all sports leagues have tried to get away from that. I remember, you know, they used to give tickets out to the media left and right uh, back when I was first getting into the business into the, in the late eighties, early nineties and any team you covered, you know, they would, they would send out season tickets to the, the each, each newspaper, each radio station that, that uh, covered the team. Uh, it didn't take any, you know, didn't take any effort at all to get tickets. Um, and I don't think that that first off, that doesn't happen anymore because that's an ethics thing. And I think eventually journalism was like, look, we can't be taking free things from teams. Um, we're not going to ride on the-, the Buffalo news. I get an email almost every, not every day, but almost every week about how Buffalo news subscribers can get discounted tickets, but that's a bit more of a partnership business. Right. But I, yeah, I think that the leagues have gotten away from that as giving anything away. Um, and I, and okay, this is a, this is a conversation. I'm, I'm probably getting out of my depth right now, but I also wonder if they don't want to put so many tickets out there um, because of the secondary ticket market being legitimized more and more over the years. It used to be, you know, scalping tickets was this, um, you know, it was almost like prostitution. You know, you weren't allowed to do it anywhere. You know, like the, the cops would chase you off. Uh, you can't be obvious about it. Um, you selling your tickets was considered, you know, a, a illegal and a, and a major a, a moral, uh, a, a moral a strike against you if you were a person who sold your tickets. Uh, but now there are companies that do it and they'll do it for you. And then the teams even do it themselves, you know. So I think that the idea of putting tickets out there for free undercuts the business operations of, well, I'll just wait and get my free tickets rather than buying them now. So I think that as time has gone on, the leagues and the teams have been 
uh, more protective of the asset of the seat um, rather than trying to devalue or rather than devaluing it by giving away tickets. They want people to know that when you buy this seat, this is what it's worth. And I'm sure that there's like better detailed information that I can give than the anecdotes that I was just pulling off the top of my head. But I think that seems to be uh, that seems to be right. Um, because as time has gone on, it's everything has been legitimized. You know, you can't show up to McDonald's and they have, uh, th there was a rush of, um, uh, the dinner rush didn't happen like they thought on a Wednesday and they made too many Big Macs. You can't just walk in and say, Hey, uh, can you give me one of those Big Macs that you're not going to sell? Uh, no, uh, we're going to throw this away actually. And, uh, you're going to have to buy the next one. Yeah. I was just curious maybe why, if that was why, if there were business reasons or if it's just something that isn't happening, maybe they've tried to do it and they're not getting much of a response. I don't know. I know, I know some people that might not go to the game if they got a free ticket. Yeah, I think, or where you may see it, you know, schools, um, first responders, and, and something that they would promote as, you know, we gave away these seats to these people, uh, you know, the military, uh, they might do some things like that. But it used to be with the Regas's, if you had, if you paid for a, a Sabres ticket, and this was back when Hashik was still playing for them, as long when the Regas's were owning the team, they were giving away so many tickets through Adelphia Cable and whatever else, and just all you, you were had to be one of the most poorly connected people in Western New York to have paid for a ticket, because you can get so many for free back then. Um, anyways, that's you know maybe that's worth us maybe that's we worth are still in the midst of a pandemic and. The vaccine rules, I don't think that's a huge factor, but it's probably keeping some percentage of the fan base out of the building. And on the other end, there's people that might be vaccinated and still worried about going out in public or immunocompromised and don't want to go to these games. And on one hand, you could look at it and say, if the building's only 30, 40% full, that's good for social distancing and keeping things under control. I don't think it's intentional, but it might be having some sort of positive effect in that regard. Yeah, and we really haven't talked about Canada either and all the restrictions and the, the percentage of fans that will come over the border uh, that maybe aren't even Sabres fans, uh, that they just like to go to hockey games and it's too expensive and takes too long to, to drive up to Toronto and, and get a ticket there. Uh, it's very difficult, but a lot easier if you live in southern Ontario just across the border when it's, when it's feasible uh, and go to a Sabres game. Um, but there, the restrictions have been loosening a little bit and they're they're going to loosen a little bit more here i think next week in fact there's some uh some word that um you know yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't want to misspeak well, no, but, so but, the testing requirements for canadians crossing the border uh is either going away or being lessened and that will make it less expensive for a canadian to cross the border to come to the game and then go back home Yeah, because there's like a fee involved uh, if you have to test yourself before you can come and go um yeah, you can go to a hockey game, but then you think, well, then I got to pay extra for these tests and whatever. Um, you don't have to pay extra to see uh, St. Bonaventure at the Riley Center, but I'm guessing that tickets are going to be really hard to come by if they aren't already, Jonah. Yeah, you've been covering St. Bonaventure, and uh, they've had a nice, um, they've had a nice little uh, tournament or a classic or whatever this event that they're playing in in Charleston. Um, They've had a nice little run. Uh, they're still ranked. They will remain ranked uh, next week, I think. Um, let's we take think. a spin around uh, the local college hoop scene. Uh, St. Bonaventure seems to be acquitting itself quite well. St. Bonaventure is 4-0. They won their first two games at the Charleston Classic, beating Boise State. And last night they beat Clemson, which is an unranked team, but an ACC team. And it was a tough comeback win for St. Bonaventure and, and probably – help their standing in the eyes of AP voters. And now they play in the Charleston Classic Championship game Sunday night against Marquette, which is a Big East team that was unranked, but they've beaten Illinois, a top 10 team. And at this tournament, Ole Miss and West Virginia, who with Bonaventure was probably the favorite to win this tournament. So Bonaventure has another opportunity to beat a team from a power conference. If they win and they win the championship and they're 5-0, and they'll almost certainly they will certainly stay in the top 25 rankings, maybe even move into the top 20, I think. If they lose, I'm sure there will some voters that will penalize St. Bonaventure for that, and they might drop a spot or two from where they are, number 22. But unless it's a really bad blowout loss, I really don't think that 
going two and one at this tournament and losing to a Marquette team that's pretty good and might be in the top 25 pretty soon itself. I don't know if that's enough to knock them out of the rankings, especially with other teams in the top 25 losing games. But yeah, what's going on go? with the other teams in, say, 20 I'd have, to 25? I'd have to look, but, I mean, this is – teams play each other in these classics this time of year, and teams are taking losses. Now, some of them are taking losses against higher-ranked teams and good teams that won't penalize them. I've thought that coming into the tournament, I thought that Bonner needed to win two or three to stay in the rankings. And the way that they won two or three would also be a factor. If they had lost that first game to Boise State and then beaten two lesser teams in the second and third rounds, that wouldn't be as impressive as uh, winning two games and then losing in the championship game. If they lose on like a buzzer beater against Marquette, I don't think that's going to penalize them too much. But we'll see. You kind of got to see where you're at tomorrow night with who's won, who's lost, how good Bonner looked in this game, if they won or if they lost. And, you know, they're favored to win this game. They are the, they're the only ranked team in this tournament, and they were the only team receiving votes uh, in the AP poll, at least, coming into this tournament. So they're supposed to win these games. And if they do, they're going to get a lot of credit, I think, for taking care of business and winning the games. And if they don't, it should drop their standing ever so slightly. I don't know if it knocks them out of the top 25, but I think if you – were a voter and you had them 13th as some people did and, and they don't win this tournament when they were favored to win this tournament maybe you don't rank them quite so high uh, in this ballot going into next week but if they win and they're five and oh they're definitely still a top 25 team do you think mike rodak is impressed by their their run because the in my classic. mind's eye now when i think of an ap voter it's mike rodak what would a mike rodak think about this win or this loss and you know, I, I, Mike Rodick had them in the preseason top 25 and took them out of his top 25 because he wasn't impressed with their nine-point win against Canisius. I think if they win this tournament, Mike Rodick will put them back in the top 25. But I would guess if they don't, that Mike Rodick will not put them in the top 25 if Marquette wins the game tomorrow, especially if Marquette controls the game and wins by a decent margin. University of Buffalo beats Ryder today. Uh, that was expected. Uh, where do you think UB is as it's well, UB had a good win conference schedule? UB had a good win earlier in the week at North Texas, which is two-time conference USA champions. And maybe North Texas isn't the conference USA favorite this year. And it's not maybe as impressive a win as it could have been in the last year or two, but it's a good non-conference road win for UB. Ryder was a game they're supposed to win, so they're 2-1 and one now with a loss at Michigan, which was is number four in the country right now, but they're going to drop because they lost to Seton Hall. UB is doing well with its early season schedule. They're the favorites to win the MAC, and I think that going into MAC play, they will still be the favorites, but there's other good teams. Ohio, which won the MAC last year, is probably the second favorite to win the conference, and as it's been for several years, the teams in Buffalo's East Division are better than most of the teams in the West Division, so even if you're favored to win the Mac, uh, it's a tough sledding to get through that league schedule. So Buffalo, I think they're a team that's going to win 20 games or be in that mix and, and be a team that could win the Mac and go to the NCAA tournament. But there's a lot of games to be played for them to get there. They don't have the schedule that I think is going to allow them to be a team that could get an at-large bid. They're going to have to win the league to get to the NCAA tournament. Their best games on the schedule are that Michigan game and going to Bana a week from Saturday, and that'll be a big game for both programs and a big game for Western New York. But um, as far as where UB is, they're playing up to expectations, which is means they're playing pretty well. Anything that actually else? reminds me of something I wanted to get into, though, yeah. quickly, um, about the local college basketball teams and the schedule. I think it's a bit unfortunate that as good as Bonaventure is this year, and the Riley Center is a great place to watch the game. And the fans down in Olean, Allegheny, Southern Tier um, go to those games and they go everywhere for the games. There are a lot of them, thousands of them are down in Charleston for this classic right now. But I do think it's unfortunate that Bonaventure isn't playing a game in Buffalo or Rochester this season. And I think there were opportunities. There are, there is a triple header going on with Canisius and Niagara and Buffalo playing at the arena on December 18th. Bon is not part of that event. Um, they've, played games in Rochester in years past that's not happening this year I don't know if that's because of the Pagula management of the Rochester arena or if it's Bonner not wanting to or not finding the right opponent to play that game um, as far as teams playing each other you know Canisius and Bonaventure played uh, you know none of these local teams in the big four little three played each other last year 
some of that they were scheduled and the games got canceled. Some of that just they weren't scheduled. Um, the games are coming back this year, except Niagara is not playing Bonaventure or UB. The way I heard it, they don't want to play those games. I think it's unfortunate when those games don't happen because they're big things for the local basketball community, for the media, uh, and for the teams involved. And I think there should have been more effort to play these games. And there should have been a way, whether it was Bona playing Niagara or adding Bona against another opponent to that KeyBank Center date to have Bonaventure in Buffalo for some of the fans that for whatever reason can't make the trip down to the Riley Center. And then also see if you can get a really big crowd to watch a Bona game or Bonaventure UB is going to be a really big game down there and it probably will sell out. But at the arena, maybe you could have gotten 10, 12,000 people to watch that game. Why didn't Niagara want to play those games? They just, uh, they think they're lost. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's not, they're going to say they couldn't, both sides are going to say, well, we couldn't get the dates right. We wanted to play each other. We're not playing because there was a conflict with the dates. But every other year when they play each other, they find the dates to play. Um, And I've heard it, you know, back channel through the different people I talked to, reps and, and people around town that, and Paulus didn't want to play them. Greg Paulus wants to get wins. I mean, they played two tough games against Xavier and Ohio State, but now if you look at their schedule, they have a lot of winnable games in the non-conference. And, that's gonna and if you want to recruit in Western end. New York, maybe it's a good strategy to not remind people that you are one of the worst teams in Western New York. I mean – yeah, but I think it has more to do with just the total number of wins at the end of the season and what that means for the coach more than the player because that little three rivalry goes back a century, and they used to play twice a year, Niagara and St. Bonaventure. Now they only play once a year, and they played every single year until about four years ago when Chris Casey did the same thing. He didn't want to play Buffalo or St. Bonaventure because coaches don't want to schedule losses unless it's a buy game and you're getting paid a lot of money to do it. And in that case, Chris Casey was on the hot seat and needed to win as many games as he could that season to protect his job. I think Greg Paulus has different motivations for why he's trying to maximize wins in the non-conference season. But I think in those cases, you need a strong athletic director that says this rivalry means more than your final win total this season. And we're going to find a way to play this game, whether it's downtown or, you know, in one of our gyms. All right. Well, excellent point to be made there. Uh, you're right. And I guess I hadn't realized that Niagara was avoiding those games. Um, because in my mind, looking at the schedules, they're all playing each other. But I, I, I didn't notice those, those two in particular. Um, and Niagara Jonathan, playing Albany instead of what could have been maybe St. Bonaventure in that arena. And it worked out for Bonaventure. They're going to play Virginia Tech on that date instead. But if you were following, that game was added late on the schedule, and I think they were maybe holding out or, or trying to schedule something with Niagara before they added that Virginia Tech game. Anything else for the people, Jonah? Canisius women won their first game in, in a couple of seasons today. Wow. Who'd they beat? Colgate. Mm. Who lost to well, Niagara earlier in the week. I, I think it's just interesting because they had such a disastrous season last year, 0-5, and then ended up canceling the second half of the season. So, you know, if you're a Canisius women's fan, it's been a long time since you've been able to celebrate a win, and today's your day. Jonah, before we get to Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas, uh, I wanted to ask about uh, Bonaventure and television. Uh, That game is probably uh, on some sort of national TV, right? Because it's the championship of the Charleston Classic. Um, Do you know where that is? Yeah, the championship game will be on regular ESPN. The first two games have both been on ESPN, too, because this is an ESPN event, which is one of the big things about Charleston Classic for Bonaventure is that it's a very good television exposure opportunity and this championship game will be on the main ESPN after the Bills game during the Sabres game but a a good showcase for the Bonnies oh that's right Sabres are playing tomorrow night too um all right so when's tip-off for St. Bonaventure 7 30 7 30 I think Sabres are at 6 p.m so you can do some real good channel surfing uh as a Western New York sports fan tomorrow um or actually you could go to Amherst Pizza and Alehouse and not do any channel surfing because you can just 
tilt your head from one direction to the other. They got all those TVs there. And um, that's located at 55 Cross Point Parkway in Getzville. That's right off Miller's Point Highway in the 990. Um, so great night uh, to head over to Amherst Pizza and Ale House, recognized by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports. Um, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but last time I was in there, they were talking about having a Thanksgiving night. Um, they were going to open. Um, and it's a Bills game. Obviously, they're going to be playing the Saints. But uh, the theory from ownership being um, that it's a good place to go once you're sick of your family uh, and you want to start your four-day weekend. So they were kicking around the idea, and I think they'd settled on doing that. So keep that in mind. Um, pretty cool thing that Amherst Pete's and Alehouse is going to be doing on Thanksgiving night uh, to help you decompress uh, from your family stresses. I think they'll get a crowd. I think there's a few bars in West New York that stay open on Thanksgiving and Christmas nights, and they tend to get big crowds because there's a lot of people in town. And once you're done with your dinner, they want to go out and see old friends and not all of the bars are open. So the ones that are tend to get uh, populated on those nights. Right. So uh, when you've had too much uh, Kyle Rittenhouse discussion, uh, gas prices, um, uh, anything else uh, that uh, causes a lot of conflict on uh, Thanksgiving and you need a few drinks, well, hold over to Amherst Pizza and Ale House. And even if you don't go on Thanksgiving, let me remind you that uh, it's a great uh, restaurant uh, to stop in at any time or to get uh, takeout or delivery, 716-625-7100. Uh, one more time, Amherst Pizza and Ale House, 716-625-7100. And again, located at 55 Crossway, uh, Cross Point Parkway uh, in Getzville. Um, highly recommended. Joining us now on the line from Vegas, it's our very own Joel Staniszewski, longtime odds maker slash handicapper slash industry analyst. And he gives us uh, the Bills uh, analysis from a betting perspective uh, every week. Uh, Joel, coming off of a nice, uh, a nice week 10, you went four and two. You got both Bills bets correctly. You had the Bills uh, minus 12 and you had over 47 and a half. Uh, the Jets didn't help you out too much with that over, uh, but uh, maybe that's good news uh, for Bills fans out there that uh, Josh Allen and the boys uh, started to uh, find uh, pay dirt in the red zone. However, I don't mean to belabor it, uh, or but <laughs> offensive line problems again, which was the issue uh, in Jacksonville when they lost nine to six to a really bad team. Spencer Brown is out because of covid uh, it looks like Cody Ford's going to be back in the lineup. Um, and that means Daryl Williams moved back to right tackle probably. So Joel, how do you handicap this matchup knowing that it's the team that more closely resembles Jacksonville, at least on paper, the team that's going out on the field versus the team that just crushed the New York Jets? Yeah, as we've talked about in the past, there are a few players that when they're out change a line and we're seeing that, that these players that are out aren't changing the line odds makers and handicappers and betters. They don't follow teams like we follow our team. So when they see Spencer Brown is out and Cody Ford and we signed Bobby Hart, they don't think anything of it. They don't bat an eyelash. And the same goes for star Latulale being out uh, but he's the anchor of our run defense and the Colts are a running team they can run all over everybody and we saw that in against Tennessee so uh, this is kind of where you have to think can the coaching staff make changes to accommodate for what we where we lack and we saw them, the Bills, running the ball a lot more successfully last week. We saw a lot different formations that we haven't seen in the past. We saw fullbacks. We saw, you know, Josh Allen under center, uh, us running the ball and throwing the ball from under center. Uh, and that's where you kind of have to hope that we can, can, we can kind of make the adjustments to fix 
where we're going to be lacking, which is going to be interior lines on, on both sides of the ball. Um, so you have to assume the Colts are going to be planning on running the ball and running the ball successfully. And the Bills will probably have to do that as well uh, because we, we're not going to have time to throw the ball. We saw that. It doesn't matter if you put Cody Ford there or Bobby Hart there or put both of them there. If we, we could put 12 guys out there, one of them will get blown by. The other one will get called for holding. It, it is they're, – they're just I, – I cannot believe that there's not another offensive lineman out there in the world that we couldn't <laughs> sign. That, that, that these two are our best options right now. And it's, it's scary. Now, maybe Cody Ford had a bad game. He wasn't ready to be back in the starting lineup. But, I mean, what do you, what do, you do? You know, I, I, I said when he was out there against Jacksonville, I said, I said to like my brother and sister, like, how do you even as a coach tolerate seeing that person in the locker room? How do you just not send him home? Like, just here's your bus money. Get out of here. You know? Right. And Daryl Williams had just as bad of a game, although I don't think it was as apparent to the naked eye in real time, you know, but uh, you know, anybody who I trust uh, who breaks down offensive line film said that Daryl Williams looked equally lost uh, out there. And that was maybe the biggest shocker because he was good at that role just last year. Um, He was moved to guard uh, so they could make room for Spencer Brown, but uh, Daryl Williams was considered quite a find for uh, Brandon Bean last year. Uh, and what he was able to do on that offensive line. So it seems as though he totally forgot how to play. I guess playing right tackle is not like riding a bicycle. Um, I, I, I couldn't sit there and tell you, or any person for that matter, what it's like to play offensive linemen in the NFL. Uh, how your footwork changes, how your, your leverage changes from tackle to guard. I'm sure it's extremely difficult. And I'm sure Cody Ford and and Bobby Hart are the top 50 people in the world that could play offensive line. Take that back. Not 50, maybe a hundred, maybe 150, but still they're probably incredible athletes, but they looked completely lost out there. And uh, hopefully one, two, three, however they combine this line together can, can get their shit together because quite frankly, I don't have any faith that the offensive line can, can hold on and do anything. One difference between that Jacksonville lineup and what the bills are going to field uh, Sunday um, against the Colts is Dawson Knox. Uh, and maybe this plays a little bit more of a role with daily fantasy, but you mentioned Cole Beasley earlier. He was targeted eight times very early in that game and they went away from him eventually, but when you have that offensive line and not as much time to throw, the, the people that you want to look at for those over-under receiving totals uh, in terms of receptions, maybe not yards, but receptions, because uh, they're going to get a lot of targets, are the slot receiver, the tight end, and your running backs. Uh, yeah. So just something to consider uh, if you're into that type of uh, you know, play. If you like those uh, player props, Dawson Knox was not on the field last time. And he does add another blocking dimension that Tommy Sweeney couldn't. Uh, they don't have and he can also, thumb. yeah, you can have him chip and then fall out and, and catch a little short pass and actually get some, some positive yards. And everything that, in case you haven't been paying attention to what we've been saying the last couple of minutes, everything that we're talking about leans towards taking the under in this game. Um, we're talking about, you know, running the ball, chewing up clock. We're talking about short passing yards. We're talking about, you know, field, field, um, position, you know, so jumping ahead. We're know, looking this, this... at uh, 49 and a half or 50 on this game. Yeah. So of course you want to look for the 50, if you're going to take that under and Correct. a lot of places are offering you 50 uh, win bet Caesars bet MGM. Um, the uh, if you do the mobile betting, you're pro- you might be stuck with 49 and a half. Cause it looks like FanDuel and draft draft Kings right now, both have it at 49 and a half, but um, anyways, uh, 50 seems like a pretty good number for that. I agree with you, Joel. Uh, but how does the bills and like you say, the fact that we follow this a little more closely than, uh, you know, people who are betting, 
uh, in New Jersey uh, on their phones or in Tennessee on their phones or walking up to the Stardust Sportsbook. Uh, they have no idea who Spencer Brown even is. Uh, right. Starla Tulale looks like something they, they see on a Scrabble board uh, better than a defensive tackle. So how does this affect you, knowledgeable Bills fan, and how you want to handle the seven points uh, that is uh, considered the spread for this game. And it hasn't changed either, which is interesting to me. It opened at seven and it's kind of stayed the same despite everything we've learned. Yeah, you, you could find it early at six and a half and you could find it as high as seven and a half. Uh, but most places are right around seven. Um, I honestly think the Bills are going to win this game, but I don't know if seven is is the right number. So I, if I'm taking is this one bet, of those games, Joel, that you would not bet but yes, you're, you're forced really to make a pick on the show yeah. here. It is. And I'm taking the Colts. And okay. if you can find a seven and a half, take it. If not, we'll take the seven. Um, I do think the bills can win. I think, you know, this Jacksonville de- debacle was a real wake up call when, when the players were saying that they on the sidelines, they didn't even look like they cared, you know, that type of stuff. Um, my one comment about Star Latulale, if I'm saying that correctly, is yeah. he, he was concerned enough about the virus to take a year off from football. Yeah. But not concerned enough to get vaccinated. That makes sense, right? It makes sense if you didn't want to play last year and wanted to get that, whatever it was, $250,000 to stay home. But if you were concerned enough about the virus to not play football, to take a year off from your livelihood, but not enough to get a vaccine, I, I don't really buy it. I really don't. I don't. And that irritates me. But as we've mentioned before, my political views or scientific views with football players, basketball players, any type of musicians, actors, whatever it is, I don't like them because of their political views or their scientific knowledge. I like them because of what they contribute to my life. And Star Latulale, when he's out there, he's a good contributor. So I'm disappointed that he's not gonna be out there. And you, uh, and let's make it even a broader uh, of topic or a broader point, what he means to the guys that he signs up to play next to, not just for the fan, like you're saying for the fans. I, I, you can take a look at it as like, what kind of fellow, teammate is this what kind of coworker or employee uh just is so cavalier about this that well i'm sorry i'm going to miss these next couple games guys and it looks like spencer brown is going to probably miss uh, the two games because the bills next one is on a thursday uh against the saints so yeah spencer i guess that brown would depend upon possible that would that would depend upon his people. his vaccination status i don't know if he is or isn't right um I don't so if he, can, if he can get two negative tests he can play but it's a really short window to turn around. And so I don't know if, if he tested positive or if he was close contact and that's why he couldn't play or, or what the, but well, I guess we've got to wait and see. So we'll see how important he is or would be or will be in the Saints game against Indianapolis. I, I'd say that the Saints and the Colts are similarly matched teams defensively. Maybe the Saints are even better defensively than the Colts. Um, so we'll, we'll see what our op- – and they both run the ball really well. So we'll see how our missing pieces do against the Colts, and that will probably give us a good indication as to what we can expect from them the following week. Um, but like I said, I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in our backups and who are filling in. Um, I, I think the Bills can pull it out. I mean, the Bills almost pulled it out against Jacksonville. Now, the Colts are better than Jacksonville. But that was one of those games that you could tell the Jags were really, they really got up for that game, you know, and the Bills didn't. So maybe that was a wake-up call that they needed. Um, I thought the Tennessee was enough of a wake-up call, but maybe it wasn't. Um, so let's see what we can do against the Colts. I'm going to take the, the touchdown. I'm going to take the under. I do think the Bills can, can win this game, though. So that's what Another we're going to Another player to keep an eye on because we've been talking about it, you know, mostly the offensive line. Well, who on the other side of the Colts' defensive line is going to maybe feast uh, if there are player props available on sacks or tackles or whatever? And it's tough for defensive linemen uh, to get counting numbers that are good for props. Uh, they're, they're a little tougher to find than receivers right. and running backs. But look for, uh, look for a number on DeForest Buckner 
and uh, maybe take the over on that. Um, your other picks, I know we're a little short on time here. Uh, Joel, uh, what are your other picks this week? Yeah, I like um, Minnesota Vikings. I like the Baltimore Ravens. And I like the L.A. Chargers. All right, let's see if I can find those quickly so I can do a little recap here. So we like uh, Baltimore minus six over Chicago. Correct me if there's a five and a half. No, we, there's a five and a half out there. So we'll do minus five and a half. Yep. Uh, we like uh, Minnesota getting a mm, – looks like you're only going to get a point. Uh, it opened at two, but you're going to get a point against Green Bay. Uh, and the last one, the LA Chargers. Uh, my, whoa, whoa! That opened at minus three, and it's now up to six in some places. Um, That's a good move. <laughs> why is that? Um, I, I got to be honest with you. And do you want to take you. another? Do you want to take another look at that? Yeah, we're gonna mark it down. Well, we're going to okay, take another so you look want at Chargers it. now minus six. Maybe it's uh, the steel. Uh, I don't know if there's a Roethlisberger situation or, or what. Yeah, but I know that he was out last week. Um, I'm, I'm assuming they put that lineup, assuming he was going to play, and now he's not going to play. Okay, so we have it at minus five and a half or six. Uh, Give me that you, five and a half. I want that half. A, I want that half a point. All right, so we're doing minus five and a half. So you're big on that. Okay. So let's recap real quickly again, because we were kind of scattered uh, there. Colts plus seven, under 50 uh, against the Bills. Minnesota plus one against Green Bay. Baltimore minus five and a half against, um, I've forgotten already, uh, Baltimore, uh, Chicago. Yep. Uh, and the Chargers minus five and a half against the Steelers. All right, Joel, you're on a little bit of a run here. Uh, let's, uh, let's keep it going. And yeah. I appreciate you making time to talk to Tim Graham and friends. All right. Take care, everybody. The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions.